was having a few weeks together in the pulpit, I decided I would like to string together a few consecutive passages. I've already kind of set myself up to preach through all five of the warning passages in the book of Hebrews. Um, probably seven months ago or so, I preached through the uh, first warning passage in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. The warning of do not drift. Do not drift. Watch for spiritual drift in your life. The second warning came in chapter 3, verse 7 to 11. The warning of do not harden your hearts. And I rejoice that this week and next week we will cover the third warning passage together in the book of Hebrews. We need two weeks to work through it because the author begins it in chapter 5, verse 11, but he really is carrying on that whole warning until chapter 6, verse 12. So we need the, this week and next week together to be able to work through these verses. This week we'll look at 5, 11 to 14, and next week we'll see the rest of the warning in Hebrews 6, 1 to 12. I've called this warning, do not stop striving. Do not stop striving. And the author will give us all the motivations to not stop striving in our Christian faith of pressing on to maturity. The reason I call it this is because of what is being warned in Hebrews 5.11 through 6.12 is, is a spiritual immaturity. It's, it's taking your foot off the gas spiritually, so to say, a, a, a spiritual lethargy. And look with me, if you will, at chapter 5, verse 11, if you have your Bibles in Hebrews 5. There's a word here that bookends this, this warning. So, so one word in the Greek, and it is at the end of verse 11, he says, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. The word I'm drawing your attention to is that word dull. It is a, a word that means laziness or sluggishness. And this same word, it shows up in chapter 6, verse 12. Look over there, if you will. Here, he has just exhorted us to strive for diligence. And he says, here's the reason, so that you will not be sluggish. That word sluggish in 6.12 is the same word as dull in 5.11. I wish the, uh, uh, the translators would have translated it the same way. It's the only time this word appears in the Greek New Testament. And it shows up here just one chapter away and they translate it differently. I am encouraged that the New Legacy Standard Bible did translate it dull both times. And I appreciate that because we should note this is the same thing here. He's speaking of a, a dullness in hearing, a laziness in hearing, a sluggishness. And then he goes on and says, if you are striving in diligence in 611, you will not be sluggish. You will not be spiritually lazy. You will not be spiritually dull. So that is the beginning and the end of this warning, which is why I called it, do not stop striving. But I just want us to take a moment and think about just the concept of maturity. As this morning, we will be identifying marks of spiritual immaturity. As a child, we'd go and visit my grandmother on my dad's side. And as kids, we loved this because she would always take us to two places. She would always take us to McDonald's to get Happy Meals, which was a great excitement at that age. And then also, she would take us to Toys R Us. And each of us kids could pick out one specific item, and we loved that. Uh, back in this time, marketing companies still used creative and catchy jingles to try and earn our business, whereas now they just buy all your data of what you've searched online and they, they put the, the product you want in front of you until you eventually buy it. But back in this day, there were still some joyous jingles uh, on TV and the radio. 
And Toys R Us had one of those that I think plays on immaturities, but uh, in, a, in a friendly way. Listen to what it says. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'll read it. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. They got a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with. And then talk about some of those toys. And then it concludes, I don't want to grow up because maybe if I did, I couldn't be a Toys R Us kid. More games, more toys. Oh boy, I want to be a Toys R Us kid. It's cute when a six-year-old sings that. It's, it's fun to see. And I, I don't fault them in the marketing sense. I don't take any offense at the jingle. I want to be clear with that. I actually enjoy that. I, I like that method of marketing more than what we have today. But I, I'm pointing it out because I believe the, uh, the, the six-year-old singing that, sadly in our culture, has become the 26-year-old or so still living that. The, the one who is embodying the attitude uh, that is saying, I don't want to press on to maturity because I'm going to miss out on all the fun. That's the, sadly the attitude in our culture at large today. And what the author of Hebrews is going to address is when that attitude of self-serving immaturity is in the church as well. We live in a culture of perpetual adolescence where people refuse to grow up. It used to be common that when young men and young women were uh, in the teen years, they were maturing into adulthood and finishing school and entering the workforce and starting a family and, and maturing on in life. And now these things are extremely uncommon, even into the 30s. There's been a shift in society from pushing people towards maturity to now seeking to prolong adolescence as long as possible. One pastor friend of mine called this a perpetual neverland where people refuse to grow up, just like Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. There's, there's no adults here in Neverland. There's an increasing gap between adult privileges and adult responsibilities. That's the heart of immaturity is I want all the freedoms. I want all the, all the privileges. I don't want any of the cost. I, I don't want to have to tell myself no. I don't want the responsibilities. And sadly, this creeps right into the church in a spiritual sense. In the cultural sense, we want the benefits of maturity without the cost. You, you might see that in young people who want the benefits of marriage without the God-ordained covenant that, that comes along with it. They want the emotional and physical joys, but they do not want to submit to the covenant God has instituted. Financially, people want to borrow money and have someone else pay it back. They want to rack up thousands of dollars on a credit card even when they have no money in the bank. They, they want the pleasure. They don't want to do the work and earn the money for themselves and then wisely spend it on things. They would rather just enjoy the pleasure without the cost. What does this look like when it comes into the church? I believe this is the, the spiritual immaturity is when we have these desires for feelings of maturity and deep sensations of spiritual growth, but we're unwilling to give the cost of diligence and study and sanctification. We're unwilling to put to death the desires of the flesh and actually yield in faith to the scripture. I want to feel spiritual. I want to feel godly. I want to feel close to God. I don't want to feel the guilt of my sin, but I'm not willing to do all the hard work of actually telling my flesh no. We saw that in our scripture reading, that Christ's design for his church is that we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Maturity is God's intention for every single believer. 
Now, churches can grow in great numbers by catering to immaturities and, and offering the sensations and, and the feeling of being spiritual without offer, calling believers to give the cost of that and pursuing doctrine and devotion that the Scripture teaches. The author of Hebrews wants to be sure that his readers can identify spiritual immaturities in their life abandon those immaturities so they can press on to mature and diligent striving. So this week we are going to look at it as the author of Hebrews helps us identify spiritual immaturities in Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. And then next week we will focus on how to abandon those spiritual immaturities in chapter 6, 1 through 12. Our passage this morning simply explains why the author cannot dive into the theological deep end of the pool. He's saying, I I want to take you to great spiritual depths. I want to tell you all about the riches of of Jesus Christ being your high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He's not like those Levitical priests. He can actually give you atonement. He can actually give you access to God, but you're not ready to listen to that. That's what the author does here. He, he, He tells them at the beginning of verse 11, I want to show you all these things, but there's something in the way of you benefiting from these truths. It is a spiritual immaturity. There are so many rich theological truths that are mined out of the exposition of Christ's high priestly ministry, but the spiritually immature will miss them. Notice how the author points this out in 5.11. It says, concerning him, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Well, he has talked about Christ being the great high priest multiple times. Early in chapter 2, he brings it up. And then later at the end of chapter 4, he brings it up and says, We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, and he is able to sympathize with with us in our weakness because he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin so we can draw near to the throne of grace with boldness and confidence and we can find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need he is sympathetic he gives us access to god and and then in chapter five he starts getting into the priesthood and explains here's what levitical priests did and here's how christ goes beyond what they did and offers us even more and then he he begins to say Christ is not like the Levitical priests. Look at uh, verse 10 of chapter 5, right before our passage. He begins to say, Christ is of an entirely different order. This is very significant and important. He says in verse 10, Christ is being designated by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And I think... The author of Hebrews, likely, I, I do believe Hebrews was a sermon that was uh, then uh, given to us in written form. There are so many phrases within the sermon and ways, is, ways that the author speaks that it is likely it was presented orally. I think at this point he looks up and thinks, you know, they are really getting lost here. So we're talking about the priestly ministry of Christ. They're turning their ears off. They're, they're no longer being attentive to the word of God at this point. And I have to pause and address spiritual immaturities. That's what our author does. He makes this parenthetical break to address spiritual immaturity. He knows that there are rich truths about Christ being according to the order of Melchizedek and not a Levite that we can benefit from spiritually, but he recognizes the spiritually immature don't want to hear it. 
Verse 11, he says, concerning him, we have much to say. And I'll just say briefly, this him here, this pronoun, is a, de- a debate whether it means concerning Melchizedek or concerning Christ. Either would fit grammatically, but I, I don't think either fits on its own in the sense that he's not just saying concerning Melchizedek, we have a lot to say. I want to tell you all about Melchizedek. Well, there's all of four verses in the Old Testament on Melchizedek. He's A very obscure guy. There's not a lot to say. He's not just saying, I want to tell you all about him. And he's also not saying, I just want to tell you about Christ, because ultimately that's the whole letter. I believe this concerning him, he's saying, I have much to say about Christ being according to the order of Melchizedek. The the whole thought together. Concerning him, Christ being according to the order of Melchizedek, we have a lot to say. But then he, he says this, and it is hard to explain. This phrase hard to explain is is where we get our word hermeneutics it is has to do with interpretation and understanding in one sense he's saying it's this is hard to translate to you this is hard for me to communicate in a way that you would understand and certainly as a teacher i i I could relate to that idea in the sense that i acknowledge i'm an imperfect communicator often i'm not able to articulate something in a way that i i feel like is actually getting the point across there's there's weakness and difficulty in in every speaker but that's not what he's drawing attention to here the reason that it is hard to explain christ being according to the order of melchizedek is not because of his own inability it is rather because the listeners do not want to hear it he's not struggling to be clear as a teacher He is indicating that the problem is not with the communicator, but with the listeners. And you see that at the end of 11. Here's why it's hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. This gives us our first mark of spiritual immaturity. In total, I want to give you six marks of spiritual immaturity and the, the rest of these verses. And this first mark is sluggish ears. Sluggish ears. The first mark of spiritual immaturity is sluggish ears. And I get that from the phrase dull of hearing. And this describes hearing that is lazy or sluggish. He is saying you've become lazy in listening to the truth. Sluggish ears are those that they can tune in attentively. You might call it sometimes selective hearing. It's like, I will listen whenever it really appeals to what I want. But whenever you take me into the theological deep end of the pool, I'm, I'm not going to wade in there with you. Let's keep things shallow. Let's keep things easy. Let's, uh, let's supplement the truth with a, a lot of jokes and a lot of engaging stories. I don't have to think too hard about this. I'm sorry, Pastor, when you start using those big words, my brain just kind of shuts down. Just, just give me the simple stuff. Keep it practical, not so theological. Now, I, I acknowledge there can be differences of preference in, in the, a certain way that a speaker articulates the truth, or you like the way that someone frames something up more than another. Uh, in some sense, there's an appropriate level of preference there. But here, he is not addressing a, a preference over uh, whether or not they are uh, listening to this person or this person. This is rather... A a dullness of hearing, a sluggish ear when it comes to hearing the word of God. It's not the pastor's job to make the message entertaining or engaging. Certainly as, as pastors, teachers, we long to articulate the truth of God's word with clarity. We don't want to get in the way of it. Uh, the, I don't want my cleverness or humor or, or lack thereof to distract from the word of God. 
We cannot improve upon what God has said. We just want to, uh, to be, as uh, one of my seminary professors articulated it, to be as a server. We're just carrying the meal from the kitchen. God prepared the meal. We're just delivering it. We want to get it there without messing it up. I think Ezra sets an incredible example for us in Ezra 7.10. Anyone who teaches should follow Ezra's model for teaching. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to these three things that Ezra does. Ezra 7.10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. That comes first. To study the law of the Lord, and then listen secondly, and to practice it. And thirdly, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. This is a crucial order. Uh, The one who is desiring to teach, he must first study and know what God has said. And then he doesn't stand up there in, in arrogance saying, all of you need to obey this, but I'm immune to it. No, he longs to practice it, second of all, and then thirdly, and then to teach his statutes and ordinances. Notice the verb here. We're still at the end of verse 11. He says, you have become dull of hearing. He doesn't say, you are dull of hearing, as though it's something that they have always been. He uses the language that they have progressively come to this point. The implication is that they were previously diligent listeners, but in time they have lost the sense of urgency and they're listening to their truth. Their ears have become sluggish. I do need to clarify, sluggish ears is not an inability to understand the truth. This is not an intellectual problem. This is an unwillingness to listen to the truth. It is a moral problem. Not an intellectual problem, but a moral problem. That's the truth with hermeneutics. Interpreting and understanding the Bible is not merely based on uh, the ability to grasp and understand difficult concepts. Certainly, uh, I, I will be the first to admit, we are all at different levels intellectually. There's some of us that could read tons of books and others that are like, you know, I might listen to an audio book every once in a while because I can't consume quite at the same level. Here he's not questioning whether or not someone can understand he is questioning the willingness you have become dull of hearing again here there's no question of intellectual capacity but rather moral responsibility of hearing the scripture and responding to it in faith understanding and applying the scripture that god has given that is the means that god uses to grow us in likeness to christ so to be lazy and listening to the truth ensures that you remain spiritually immature. Sluggish ears are the first mark of spiritual immaturity. Let's look at verse 12, and we'll see the second mark of spiritual immaturity, stubborn unteachability. Stubborn unteachability. Verse 12 is a reason why the author knows that they're dull of hearing, because they're not growing under the word. They need to be continually retaught the same basics. It says in verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Pause there. The author tells us that an evidence of sluggish ears and spiritual immaturity is that someone is unteachable. Unteachable doesn't mean that you cannot understand. It's again impugning the will. You will not understand. You don't want to. It's not that... We speak a different language and you can't understand the words that are being said. It's that you're unwilling to do the hard work of 
thinking carefully, of bringing your mind with you to worship. And as you hear the word of God, you're carefully thinking through what God has said with the attitude of, I want to yield to it. I want to know God. I want to grow in likeness to Christ. This heart of being stubbornly unteachable, again, doesn't mean there's a problem with the teacher, but the one being taught is unwilling to receive the instruction. The problem here for the Hebrews that he is diagnosing is by this time in their Christian walk, they should be at the level where they're able to teach others the truth that they have already been taught. But instead, they still have need for teachers to reteach them the basics. The, this is not saying that everyone in their church should all be teachers and they should all be going out and planting their own churches. Rather, he's just speaking here of normal Christian discipleship. Those who are more mature, bring along those who are less mature. Those who are less mature, they look to get instruction from those who are more mature. And we're all at various stages in this spectrum of spiritual maturity. We're always looking ahead of us, seeking to grow, and looking behind us, seeking to help someone else along. That's what he is saying should be happening here. He uses this phrase, by this time, or literally in the Greek, he says, because of the time, or on account of the amount of time that has passed. And and the idea here is not that just that they've been Christians a long time. He is saying, you've been under the word. You've you've heard the truth. You've you've been in the church and, and hearing the word of God. And by this time, it's not just that you should be able to articulate the principles. You should be able to demonstrate how to live them out to others. There's really no excuse that you haven't learned these principles by this time and able to pass them on. This is pointing that the biblical expectation for them to be engaged in discipleship. And yet, now they are the ones that need help understanding these basic principles. He says here, the elementary principles of the oracles of God. This term elementary principles is just describing the, the basic foundations. The, in the alphabet, you think this is the letters that make up the words, that make up the language. These are the basics He's saying you need to be continually retaught the basics of the oracles of God. And there I believe he is just speaking of all of God's word, not uh, some commentators would say he's just talking about the Old Testament. No, I believe he's speaking of all of the revelation of God, the foundation of faith and Christ-like living. These elementary spiritual principles would be things like God made you. You and I are accountable to him. When we sin, that is the breaking of God's law. And when you sin as a Christian, you should respond in confession and repentance and forsaking your sin. Basic principles like you can't work your way to heaven. The law can't save you. Outward deeds can't cleanse your conscience. These should all be basics in the Christian faith. The person who is stubbornly unteachable is the one that's neglecting even the most basic truths of sanctification. They defend themselves instead of owning their sin. They avoid discipleship relationships because they don't want someone pointing out their weaknesses. Someone is not able to grow in Christ when they are not believing the foundational principles of the gospel, when they're not building upon them. Let me be clear here. We are all slow to believe at times. Certainly, we, are, uh, we should all acknowledge that we need reminders. And that's part of the blessing of the church is that you and I have the opportunity to stimulate one another to loving good deeds, to call to remember the, the truths that we're hearing on a normal basis. We all need that. He's, he's not uh, putting that aside. What he's saying here is that the spiritually immature, even if they're sitting under the truth, 
Even if other believers are around them seeking to stimulate them to love and good deeds, they're still, they're, they're stubbornly unteachable. They're, they're stiff-arming it. They're uh, metaphorically putting their fingers in their ears saying, I really don't want to hear this. When we are constantly being fed the truth and we refuse to soften under it, we refuse to be taught by it, we're demonstrating this spiritual immaturity of being stubbornly unteachable. Again, not the inability to understand the principle, but rather the unwillingness to come under it. Verse 12 further illustrates the spiritual immaturity with this illustration of, uh, of believers regressing and going back to a state of infancy. This is where you see the third mark of spiritual immaturity. I've called it spiritual regression in 12c. He says, And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Where I get the idea of spiritual regression going backwards is the phrase, you have come to need milk. Notice, let me just clarify, he's not condemning a new believer needing to learn the basic principles of the faith. That there should be uh, infants in Christ in the ministry all the time. New believers coming to Christ and they should come in with an appetite to learn the basics, to learn the alphabet, so to say, spiritually, and then they're, they're going to grow from there. What's being pointed out here as a significant problem is when those who have been under the truth for a long time are now returning to say, you know what, I don't want the deep stuff, I just want the milk. Keep it as simple as possible. And, and notice here, he even uses the word of need. You have come to need milk and not solid food. The same as the first part of verse 12. You, you need to be retaught these basic truths because you haven't owned them yet. You haven't owned it as a conviction yet in your own life. You've come to need milk by lazy listening and unteachable hearts. You've regressed to a state of spiritual infancy. The reality is that if we become spiritually lazy, and it is not like you just stay in that same place. Think about if you've, if you've made progress spiritually. I, I wish it were the case that if you had victory one day, you were definitely going to have that victory the next day. That would be wonderful. That's not how it works. There's the, the illustration that the Christian life is a swim upriver. You are swimming against the current. What happens when you stop striving? You begin to drift. This is the spiritual regression. They are returning now to need this milk and not solid food. There's a sobering reality when it comes to spiritual maturity. Spiritual m- maturity is not irreversible. You and I can regress spiritually. We often do not think of going backwards spiritually. And I think one reason uh, that, that confuses us a bit is because we often equate Bible knowledge or church experience with spiritual maturity. So we think, I, I know so much more scripture than I used to know. You know, I, I, I can actually sing the songs now. I know them. I, I do all these spiritual things. And yet they could live in disregard of them while having a robust knowledge of the truth and a robust theology, someone could disregard all of those and demonstrate themselves to be spiritually immature. They, they need the milk. They need the most basic spiritual principles because they're not even living those out yet. It is believing the word that produces maturity, not merely showing up and, and hearing it each week. You have this distinction here between milk and solid food. Solid food refers to the greater, more profound truths, the the depths of the riches of God's grace in the Scripture. 
Here, I don't believe he's pointing it or making a distinction between basic gospel truths and weightier biblical truths as though one is unimportant. You need to understand that. He's not saying oh, anyone that, uh, that is uh, drinking simple spiritual truths, these uh, elementary principles, oh, that person's not a real Christian. It's not the idea. The distinction here is that the elementary principles are not an end of themselves. They're meant to be built upon. You don't want your uh, your child to live their entire life on milk. You want them to grow, to mature, to graduate into the next stage, to build upon the previous. For any professing believer to conclude, you know, I believe God exists. I believe Christ died to save me. So I don't really need any more Bible study or spiritual growth. I think I think I've got enough. That attitude is the essence of lazy listening, of sluggish ears and stubborn unteachability and spiritual regression will be the result going on in verse 13 we'll see the fourth mark of spiritual immaturity i've called it skillless application skillless application why it is a why is it a problem to not grow past the milk why can't you and i just have different levels of preference of spiritual depth can't you say, oh yeah, you, you like your Greek and Hebrew stuff, you like the weighty theology, you go enjoy that, I'm just going to stay over here and, and just stay with the most basic spiritual truth, I don't want anything else. I actually don't even want a big sermon, I just want to, you know, I'll take my Bible content through songs and, and uh, just enjoy the fellowship of, of, of Christians, I don't really need that much truth being given to me. Verse 13 indicates that this is not a preference issue of whether we like meat or milk. You need to understand that. Look at verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. You see that phrase, not accustomed. That's where I get the idea that that we're skillless in application if we're spiritually immature. The word not accustomed here is a, a word that means someone is unskilled or inexperienced. It's describing the spiritual infant as being unskilled in knowing how to apply the word of righteousness. This word of righteousness is just teaching about righteousness. So what is he saying here? Everyone who partakes only of milk, and the the word only is added there interpretively, but I, I think it is right. He's saying anyone who says, I only want milk, I don't want the deep theological truths, He's saying this person is not accustomed, they're not skilled in the word of righteousness. And here it's speaking of skill in application. It's not just saying they don't know their Bible, he's saying they they do not know how to apply it, how to live it out. Listen to commentator Thomas Schreiner, I love the way he words this. says, the author doesn't mean that they have never been taught what it means to live righteously, as if they were ignorant of God's standards. The point is that they haven't put into practice what they were taught. That's the idea. Skillless application. They're they're not applying it. They're not putting it into practice. This is uh, there's there's no such thing as a believer who lives in a state of perpetual spiritual infancy. What does that mean? Will there be spiritual infants in the church? Absolutely. Uh, but but someone who is in Christ is on a progression of growing in sanctification in Christ-likeness. You cannot say, I'm just going to live my entire Christian life in infancy. I don't ever want to go any deeper. 
it's a demonstration of spiritual immaturity. And if someone is not making spiritual progress, we'll see next week that they're in grave danger of apostasy. The end of verse 13, he says, what this inability to, the, to apply the truth displays about someone, says, for he is an infant. When one cannot apply the scripture to their life, they're demonstrating their spiritual state of infancy. What does this mean? This means that, uh, that they're not able to apply the truth themselves. And in the moment of temptation, the spiritual infant says, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to sin. I'm just going to give in. It, it, they, they would have to have their discipler or a pastor or a godly spouse or a parent around if they're going to respond righteously in the moment. They need to borrow someone else's convictions because in the moment they're not able to apply the word of righteousness. They may know what it says, but they haven't believed it in their heart. That's spiritual infancy. If the disciple is not around, they do not know how to apply the scripture. They don't recall the truth to mind in the moment of temptation. They haven't hidden the word in their heart and really own the principles as their own convictions. They just have to continually borrow the convictions of others. Spiritual infancy, again, is not being condemned as though there are no infants. Rather, it is being condemned that anyone would stay in that state of spiritual infancy or even, in our context, revert back to it, go back to saying, oh, I don't want all the hard stuff now, just give me, the, give me the easy stuff. They have been taught the principles of faith and by this point should be able to teach others, yet they're skillless in applying the truth and they need to be nursed along by someone else. This brings us to verse 14. Verse 14 is a contrast from the spiritually immature who has sluggish ears and stubborn unteachability and spiritual regression and skillless application. We see here the fifth mark of spiritual immaturity, a shallow appetite. Now, I'm presenting it there as a mark of spiritual immaturity. What we really have in the passage is a picture of the mature. So I'm just there to keep consistency with the outline, giving you what the opposite would be. This is a picture of the mature that that we see in verse 14. It says, But solid food is for the mature. In contrast to spiritual infancy, spiritual maturity is built on a healthy diet of rich truths from the Word of God. Mature believers have an appetite for depth. They want solid food. They, They want to grow and deepen their knowledge of the truth. Now, this doesn't mean that they no longer care for basic truths. That shouldn't be understood here. You do not forget about the alphabet as soon as you begin to read. Rather, you just build upon it. Mature believers are continually building upon what they already know. They're increasing and deepening in their knowledge of God and their application of the truth. Not only do mature believers desire the depth of God's word, but they're able to profit from it spiritually. You might say they have a spiritual digestive system, since he's using the language of, uh, of food here, of, of solid food and of milk. The, the mature believer is not only able to consume in the sense of hearing the word of God, but they're able to profit from it. They're able to draw out, mine out all the riches and grow as a result of it. I believe you, you'd see this in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the mature believer has as their conviction all scripture is breathed out by God. It's given by God and it's profitable for 
teaching, for reproof, for correction and training and righteousness. That's the core conviction of the spiritually mature. God gave his word. He breathed it out and it's profitable for my life. I need it. That's their core conviction and the result is verse 17. So that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. That's spiritual maturity. You believe the word of God is beneficial. You long to dig deeper and deeper into it. And by coming to the word with faith, you grow. You're equipped for every good work. I do want to remove the myth that every time the mature believer studies the scripture, they just have this heavenly experience where it's like, They hear the voice of God audibly or they just feel this mystical sensation of such incredible nearness to God and they immediately understand every word on the page. That is not the case at all. There are challenges in studying the scripture, technical challenges, grammatical challenges, understanding the historical context of thousands of years in the past and in all these details Not to mention all the challenges that we bring in our own hearts and all the distractions in life around us. It is not that the mature believer does not face the challenge to turn their ears off to the truth or to be distracted with other things. It's rather the mature believer perseveres despite the challenges. They are so convinced of the supreme value of the scripture in their life that they will do the difficult work of putting their flesh to death and eliminating distractions and diligently listening to the word and then accompanying that listening with faith and they grow. The spiritually immature, on the other hand, are satisfied with the shallow grasp of the truth. They, they might prefer to get their Bible content in small, suitable portions and they're often easily turned away at the slightest difficulty. Again, this is not a preference issue of whether you like things shallow or deeper. This is pointing to a spiritual immaturity that is unwilling to listen and unable to profit from the word. They don't draw out the depths of the truth. This is an appetite problem, not an intellectual problem. And I believe at the core of that, uh, of that lack of appetite is an attitude that says they, they come to the scripture with this in mind. What's in it for me? Uh, am I, do I have to listen to the sermon today? Okay, pastor, tell me what's in it for me. How are you going to make my life better? How are you going to make my marriage better? How are you going to make my kids obey? How are you going to help me get this promotion at work? How are you going to take some stress off my plate? I mean, things are hard here. Make my life better. That's the attitude of the spiritually immature. They want this, this sermon or, or this church to fix things in their life. Uh, they, they are not the one who says, as the mature would say, I want to know God, and I want to be more like Christ. It's the heart of maturity. Teach me the scripture, because through it, I get to know the God who saved me, and I get to be conformed to the image of Christ. Help me understand the scripture so I can store it in my heart and yield to the Spirit in the moment of temptation. I'm not asking you to help me escape the temptations and difficulty of my life. I am help, asking you to help equip me so that I can endure under them. Uh, I'm, I'm not asking you to fix my spouse. I'm asking you to apply the scripture to my heart so that I can grow, so that I can be conformed to the image of Christ. Spiritual immaturity is satisfied with shallow and ultimately looking for self-fulfillment, whereas Paul prays what I believe is the heart attitude of the mature in Colossians 1, 9 to 12. I just want to read that. This is his prayer for the Colossians. And I I believe this is the heart attitude of spiritual maturity. 
For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You hear, it's not only knowledge. It is a knowledge that longs to please him in all respect. That's what the spiritually mature after. Yes, I want to grow in knowledge, but it's not an intellectual thing. It is that I want to know God so I can please him in all respects. I want to be conformed to his image. The author continues in verse 14 describing the mature. And this is where we'll see our sixth mark of spiritual immaturity. I've called it slothful discernment. He says, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Again, here is telling us what maturity looks like. The mature are those who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. This phrase, because of practice, is, is in some way a synonym for maturity. It, it describes exercise or constant use of something. It is not the process of the exercise, but the result. So uh, you would think this is not the working out, but rather the muscles and the, and the endurance that come from the hard work. This is the product of learning, not the learning itself. He is saying they have arrived at this state of practice, or I, I would change the word practice there to expertise. They have practiced so much that now they're proficient at it. They're good at it. One commentator offered the uh, interpretive translation, having acquired sufficient experience. That's the idea. They have, they have worked in this so much that now they are experienced. They're practiced in that sense. And what is it that they are sufficiently experienced for? They have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Again here, nothing intellectual about it. What is it pointing to? A, a, a practice of yielding the will. A practice of entering the spiritual weight room of the Word of God and, and doing rep after rep of, of getting the Word of God stored up in your heart and mind and calling yourself to believe it. You've, you've seen where you were in this temptation a, a time before and you, you saw previously where your heart deviated this way and now because of practice, the spiritually mature person is able in that moment to say, you know what, I'm going to recall this verse to mine, and I'm going to walk forward in faith. That's the practice. That's the, the, the spiritual muscles that have been developed. This next phrase here, the result of this practice having their senses trained. This word for training is where we get our English word for gymnastics. It describes the systematic training by multiple repetitions. You do something so much that you are now an expert in it. You are skilled in it. It's not their first rodeo. They've lived with their flesh long enough to know what temptations come to their heart. They know the pitfalls on both sides, and they're able to, you see there, discern good and evil. Maturity is displayed in discernment. The ability to distinguish between good and evil, and not just like you can list things off, like, oh yeah, that's evil, yep, that's evil, uh, we don't go there because that's evil, we don't do this because that's evil, but these things are good. It's not just the ability to classify one as good or evil, but rather to do what is good, to, uh, uh, to stay away from what is evil. It's the ability to distinguish and to carry it out. This is a trained, experienced discernment that can spot error. It can pinpoint the deviance from the Scripture. 
You see the complete opposite back in our scripture reading, uh, where the immature are the ones that are tossed by the waves, whereas the mature is able to discern truth from error. They're able to see through the lies, see through all of, all of the smoke, all of the allure of the culture around us, and they can discern, yeah, this is what God has said. This is how to apply it in this moment. This is how to yield in faith. Train spiritual sensitivity and discernment. The practice of walking through these trials and yielding in humble faith. It's important for us to understand that spiritual maturity is not just the ability to sit through a sermon and and, and follow along on an intellectual level. It's not just the ability to carry on an adult Christian conversation. You've, you've learned all the vernacular. You can sound real mature. You, you know how to use the big theological words and sound like you're really doing well. Spiritual maturity is the equipping and training that comes from repeated exercise of faith in the knowledge of the truth. Repeated exercise of faith in the knowledge of the truth. You don't just know the truth but you know how to yield your will to it, to submit in the moment, to actually respond in faith. I love that. You cannot be spiritually mature without knowing the Scripture. It's a reality. You do have to have the knowledge of the truth, but you can know the Scripture and not be spiritually mature. You can have the knowledge without the maturity, but you cannot have the maturity without the knowledge. Maturity goes beyond knowledge to actually responding in faith to the word that you know. And this is what you and I should all aspire to. This is what will cause us to be able to follow along as the author of Hebrews goes into greater and greater spiritual depths. The last mark of spiritual immaturity, as I said, is the opposite of this trained discernment, slothful discernment. It's that we are lazy in discerning things. We just do things without thinking of it. We walk forward and later after we see all the consequences this brought, we try to uh, turn around at that point. There's no stability for them. They've not learned from past trials that were previously taught. They're not equipped for every good work. The immature want the blessings of obedience without the pain of starving their flesh. Why? Because they have these marks of spiritual maturity, sluggish ears, stubborn unteachability, spiritual regression, skillless application, a shallow appetite, and slothful discernment. If you see traces of these in your life, I urge you to bring them to the Lord in repentance and faith. Confess your areas of weakness and ask the Lord to help you. And also encourage you to come back next week as we look at the next verses of how to abandon these immaturities. Some of you might say, on the other hand, I've grown more in the past year than at any time in my life. I'll say, praise the Lord, but strive still more. Do not let your spiritual guard down. Uh, Listen to Peter in 2 Peter 1 where he says, apply all diligence in your faith. Do not stop striving. That way you will be able to continually grow in your knowledge of the truth and in your application of the truth, growing in spiritual maturity, and bringing along those who are less mature. Certainly, as we saw in Ephesians 4, that's God's purpose for the church. That's what we long to do. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have given such incredible gifts to the church. When we think about our access to the truth and our access to spiritual resources, truly there is no excuse for us to not be growing and growing in the knowledge of the truth and also growing in our application of the truth. 
you have given us such incredible clarity into the, the difficulties that our heart faces and the way to yield in faith in the moment. So help us. We confess our inability to walk in the truth apart from your spirit. And we also confess our continual uh, turning to distractions and closing off our ears. Help us to identify these immaturities and to abandon them and grow in the likeness of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.